Welcome to the Grace Monroe Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Monroe, Georgia, that exists to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. For more information about our church, visit graceformonroe.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. How has God kind of restored our life? I mean, it goes down to my marriage. I've been married now uh, going on 13 years. Me and Brittany have been together for 17 years. And uh, everything was, everything's great. And we thought we were living the nines. I mean, like how every, we thought we were doing the right thing. Um, and then at one part of our relationship, God just kind of knocked us on our knees, shook, I mean, not even shook our foundation, destroyed our foundation. And, uh, I mean, we, we built it back with, with God's principles, God's word, um, focusing on ourselves, putting God at the center of our relationship and building up that relationship again with, with trust and true love towards each other and um, just, just a sense of um, us always being there for each other and knowing that we love each other for who we are, like God loves us. And I mean, our relationship now is, is better than we could have ever imagined. I mean, it, it's my best friend. It's, she's, she's my best friend, she's my rock. And knowing that we now have a, a foundation that is built on God, which prior to that it, it wasn't, has been, it's really been unbelievable. And now since all that, uh, we've figured out or we've we've found how great a marriage can actually be and again Brittany and i were not having problems it's just that we were not focused on god and now having that focused on god and for ourselves we know how much better a relationship can be and that's something that we want to pour into um we love newlyweds we love the person that's been married for five years or 50 years there's so much to learn from all these people. And then when you bring God into it, uh, that relationship can get so much higher and, and deeper. It's, it's really, really unbelievable. And I mean, that's where I've, I've just seen God really work on me was to love myself, love Brittany unconditionally and lean into God and just, and just have that take care of our relationship and just make our relationship huge and then um, having re-engage as, as kind of a tool to help with our marriage it has allowed us to kind of talk deeper stay in our circles um, work on ourselves more than work on the individual because most of the issues are coming from within ourselves but they come out to arguing with my partner um, and just with reengage and and a great church and healthy Christian marriages, those have been hugely influenced for us to make us a just. I mean, our our relationship. I I say it can't be any better, but I'm sure next year I'm going to be saying it's gotten better. Um, it's just it's really been incredible. I love celebrating these stories of how God is restoring our lives in so many different ways. And 
the, the grace of God is, it's, I mean, it's overwhelming. It, not just simply does he step into our mess. So Sean and Brittany talking about their marriage hitting a rocky place. And, uh, and then a few weeks ago, uh, Sadie talking about not understanding who she was as a woman. And I mean, these different places of God restoring our hearts and our lives, restoring our relationships, restoring hopes and dreams, restoring identity and calling. God, God restoring all of these different facets of our life, moving us towards wholeness in Christ. But the amazing thing, and I want us to get this, church. I mean, I mean, before, I feel like we're in this sort of <clears throat> preemptive season. It feels like spring training right now, like that, that we've, you know, moved from the mill and, and we've had 10 years of beautiful history there. And, and now we're, we're embracing this new place and, and learning how to, to really engage our community in a new way. And it feels that this, these few weeks that we're in right now are really about us holding on to who God is calling us to be. And so, so what I want us to hear is, yes, there's this powerful restoration work going on in each of our lives. Whether you're six or you're 60. But God doesn't stop there. Not only does he do this amazing restoration work in our lives, but then he invites us on into his restoration mission with our lives. So Sean and Brittany talk about God restoring their marriage. But now, not only that, which would have been amazing enough of a story in itself... But now they're helping lead our re-engage ministry to help strengthen other marriages in our church and in our community. And that's incredible. It's beautiful. And the same is true for you. Your story matters. And so we feel like one of the vision, the vision that God gave us, uh, the dream God gave us, that five years from now, we want to be celebrating 10,000 restoration stories. Now, it's not about the number. I mean, it's meant to be overwhelming. But every one of you has a restoration story. In fact, a two-part restoration story, whether you've stepped into it yet or not. Restoring of your own soul and life and relationships, but then how God is using you to bring restoration for others. And the amazing thing about, about restoration is that sometimes, I remember re restoring our house, the first thing that we did was we had to tear open a few walls. We had to get down in the, in the <coughs> crawl space and take out some some crumbling foundation piers and, and build back a new foundation and we had to tear off the roof. I mean, there's a lot of what felt like deconstruction before we could ever begin to build anything. And so don't be discouraged. If you feel like you're in a season, it's like, I, I want to be growing. I, I want to be building. I want to step in. But right now it feels like God's pulling away or, or, or undoing. God is taking me back revealing some things, that's just as important of a process. And honestly, that is just a much, as much a, a story to celebrate, the revealing and even the pain of discovery and the undoing as the glory that God ends up building. Remember Isaiah 61, God begins, that I've come to announce good news to the broken heart, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring freedom to captives, and then they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's the invitation for my life, for your life, for the person sitting next to you. What does it mean to become oaks? 
And so we've been moving through the last few weeks looking at this acronym of restored and, and, and these marks of discipleship and really this pathway of maturity. And, and so last week we looked at that letter T, transformed, and this amazing story of a short punk named Zacchaeus and how he had an encounter with God that changed everything in his life. And the invitation for us to be transformed, conformed more and more into the image of Jesus in every area of our lives. And my hope for you is like, it would be really sad for me, honestly, if we just had a good hour on Sunday morning together, sang some songs, opened our Bible a little bit, and then just went about our lives. My hope is that you went into the week really asking God that, that RPMs thing we talked about, you know, relational health, physical health, mental health, spiritual health, financial health. Like, where am I with the Lord on some of these things? And what area of my life is God highlighting to invite me into deeper places with him? Is it in my relationships? Maybe it's in my marriage or the way that I parent. Is it in my physical health? Am I taking care of my, this body that God gave me? Am, is it, is it my mental health, is it emotional state, or what I'm learning, what I'm filling my brain with spiritually, my connection with God, my devotion to him, or financially, the way that we're spending and viewing the resources that God has given us? It was Zacchaeus, he had this encounter with Jesus, remember, and it changed his relationships, the way that he saw himself, and the way he related to God and his neighbor. It changed the way that he saw the world, and it changed the way that he viewed his priorities and his possessions. And one of the what clearest ways we begin to see the work of God in our lives is how those relationships change. Yes, our, our relationships with one another, that we're living with grace and forgiveness, but also our relationship with stuff our priorities, our generosity. I remember being in, in uh, actually, this was a, a Young Life Leaders Weekend. This was back in the early, I was probably 20 years old, and, and being at this camp, and I remember the speaker saying, it's, it's amazing, I still remember this, is that he said, you know what, I can tell what actually matters to you the most with only two things, your checkbook and your day timer. Now, Fast forward 20 years, none of us has a checkbook anymore, and most of our day timers are on our phones, but the, the principle still applies, doesn't it? That the way that we spend our time and our money is one of the greatest revealers of our hearts, of what we value, what matters most to us. And this kind of transformation was not just Zacchaeus as an individual but it's also this entire community of believers. The way that they supported and cared for one another, this, this way of seeing themselves as we're a family now. A family takes care of each other. So Acts 2 is this story of these early disciples and that Pentecost Sunday. They're all together at the beginning in one room, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what looked like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. If you remember, a few weeks before, Jesus had stood with these disciples on a hillside and he told them, he said, listen, I want you to wait. Hang out in Jerusalem for a little while and wait because my Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to fill you. And no longer are you going to have me in person standing next to you. Instead, you're going to have something even better. You're going to have my spirit inside of you. Forming you, shaping you, affecting the way you think, reminding you of the things that I taught. And sure enough, you know, he says, and when that comes, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. You are going to reveal who I am you're going to show it with your lives. You're going to show it with your hearts. You're going to show it with your relationships. You're going to be a witness to me, to this world that desperately needs me. And so sure enough, they're huddled up. They, they don't know what's going on. I'm sure they're a little bit scared still. I mean, they don't have the best reputation in town. They're, they've watched their leader get killed, and Jesus is pretty clear. If they want to kill me, they're going to want to kill you. It's not necessarily the most like, encouraging pep talk at the end, Right? Good luck, you're all going to die, painful death, but it's going to be awesome. And so they're all huddled in, they're singing, they're praying, they're waiting. And sure enough, on that Pentecost Sunday, the Spirit comes in. And that picture was that it's not just any special person in the room. That person gets the Spirit. Peter, oh, he had some great encounters with the Lord. That Spirit's going to rest on Peter for sure. Maybe John, because he was beloved, right? So John, you know, he's one of Jesus' favorites. Maybe the Spirit will come and rest on Peter and John. But the rest of us, the no-names of the Bible, those, you know, God's going to kind of, he doesn't really need us. He just needs the special people. The Bible is so clear. No, 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 no. We are all in the family. And, and we are all in the family. We're all adopted by the same father. And that same father, he's giving us his spirit to all of us, his gifts to all of us, his inheritance to all of us. Oh, and by the way, that good father is also the king of this universe. And so it, distributes, it goes to everyone, and they are empowered, and they go rushing out into the street and start declaring the good news of God. And at the end of that chapter, it says that, you know, 3,000 people are added to their number in that one encounter. So all of a sudden, like that, their little church band of 72, which is maybe the people sitting in the carpet here, all of a sudden, have, there's this encounter with the Lord that there's now 3,000 of them who have surrendered their lives to follow Jesus. And how do they relate to each other? We're family. It says at the end of Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so these stories about Jesus, to the fellowship, to sharing life together, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, that transformed language, right? We start receptive, this hearing from God, equipped, saturating themselves in God's word. 
secure, confident in who God has made them, called them to be, transformed, being conformed into the image of Jesus in their life. And then what do we see? That they live these lives of open hearts, open hands, open homes, that all of a sudden they recognize that everything I have belongs to God in the first place. I'm just entrusted with it for a season. And so if it's not mine in the first place, and these are all my brothers and sisters, then it's just as much yours as it is mine. Now, Acts 4, if you want to flip to forward a couple chapters. This wasn't just something that happened for a little while, right, when they were first excited. You know, that first, like, honeymoon period when you start following Jesus, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm gonna, we're going to change the world together, God. But they're now, they've gone through some hard stuff. And still, in fact, they've just been arrested told not to talk about Jesus anymore. And the end of verse 32, sorry, chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were together with one heart and mind. So no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses would sell them and bring that money to the, from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. In fact, there was this guy, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Is that a little identity statement in there? On his birth certificate, Joseph, but we know who you are. You're the son of encourager. You're the one that's supposed to bring encouragement to our team. You remember the white stones from a couple weeks ago. Sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it there. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on a, fills a community of people. But this is a really hard concept for us to grasp. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, this is not an easy teaching. In our American independent culture, saturated with materialism and self-fulfillment, this does not sit well in our world. In fact, this is crazy talk. In fact, some of you may be sitting there going like, where are you going with this? What kind of commie teaching are you bringing us here? But here's the reality. I have zero interest in any economic or political theory. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I teach the Bible. In fact, all of those are man-made systems anyway. They're all flawed. What I want us to do is look at what the Bible says and how the Bible invites us to live and what that looks like when the Bible begins to shape our lives. Now, I also think that this acts isn't about behavior. It's not a bunch of like commands, like this is what you're supposed to do now. This is for this and for these people at this time in this community as they're listening in, listening, leaning into God. This is how God is inviting them to live. I don't think God is very concerned about their stuff. It wasn't about the lands and the, the fields. It was about their hearts. And the same is true here. God is less concerned with what you do, with your money in your possessions, he is more concerned with your heart. How you see him, 
how you see yourself, how you see the world. Okay, something shifted in the, the posture of their hearts towards God and towards one another. And Jesus knew this. Jesus talked a ton about money and possessions. And he recognized that there's, there's this, in our human hearts, there's this deeply rooted connection with our relationship to stuff and our relationship to God. It's why, you know, if you remember, uh, in, in Matthew 17, the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about his word being like the seed that the farmer's throwing out. And, and, and that seed finds fertile soil. It plants itself there and it grows and it bears fruit, flourishing in that person's heart. But he said, beware, because some of that seed, the enemy wants to snatch away from you. It's, it's when you are here at church and, and you hear something or there's a line from a song or you read a, a verse and you're like, man, that's so good. There's something there. And then you walk out the door and you get in a fight with your spouse or your kid spills their chocolate milk all over the car. You get a text from work and all of a sudden it's just snatched away. Maybe later on in the afternoon, you're mowing the lawn and you're going, man, what was that thing? Is that just me? Anyone else? He says, beware of that, but also beware because some of that soil, I mean, that seed is going to fall on shallow soil and it's not going to have good roots. It's not going to have time to grow and to actually get rooted in somebody's life. And so there's going to hard times are going to come. You're going to feel like you're under attack and that soil can't sustain that word. But then he says something really interesting. He said, but then some of that seed, it falls it's pretty good soil, but the soil, it's filled with weeds and thorns that as that fruit grows up, it gets choked out. And what are those weeds and thorns that Jesus talks about? He says, it's the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. That there's something about the worries of this world and there's something about the, the, the deceitfulness of having stuff that can choke out the work and the fruit of God in our lives. Why? Because it's about security and what we're putting our trust in, what we're building our future on. When do I feel okay? What's gonna alleviate this anxiousness in my soul? Who's going to take care of the worries in my life? And Jesus is saying, there is a good father who loves you and knows you and is with you, and he's going to give you what you need. Will you trust him? And the tendency of ourselves, and maybe I'm the only one in the room that is affected by this, my tendency is to go, God, that's great. You take care of the universe. Let me take care of my life. Let me make sure I got it all together. If I just get enough stuff, if I just, if I just get it ordered right, if I get enough in, the, in those accounts, if, if my retirement feels good, if my savings account is full, if I can get rid of that debt, if, I can just, if the house is okay, if, if I can just get the stuff, then my life will work the way I want my life to work. And Jesus is really clear, that is a shaky foundation to build your life on. And just like that, he tells another story, Luke 12, the rich fool who hey, has a great year. And he brings in these crops and he fills his barns and he's still having a great year. There's even more. And so he, he's filling the barns and he goes, you know what? I don't have room to fill all this stuff up, so I'm going to build a bigger barn. And then I'll be good. Eat and drink and be merry for the rest of my life. And Jesus says, or the, uh, the uh, 
God says, you fool, today your life is going to be held to account. Jesus loves you. He wants what's best for you. I mean, this is hard teaching. We, we like our stuff. I think there's a couple of things that are important to recognize. One is we have a lot of stuff. In fact, for many, more than we need. I think the question we need to ask is are we actually any happier? Any less anxious? Or in fact, is there more worry? More stress, more pressure, more insecurity. And this is hard in our society, in a culture that just tells us we need more, always more. We just need more, the next thing, the nicer thing, the better thing. But it's also hard because there are a lot of people in our community, in our society that don't have what they need, that are struggling, that don't know how to make ends meet. Maybe that's you. They're lacking the job, that are concerned about getting enough food on the table, that don't know what kind of environment their kids are going to grow up in. And so there's this question about how do we actually help our neighbor? Because sometimes what our neighbor needs isn't $5 to buy a meal. What they need is a job. What they need is a relationship, a friend, a connection. I mean, yes, sometimes it's 20 bucks or a warm meal, but the reality is we can't serve someone out of poverty. They need a friend. They need a mentor. They need hope. And oftentimes, those things actually cost us more than the 20 bucks or the warm meal. This is a hard teaching. How do we actually live in a way that is open-hearted to God? Because God actually knows what each person needs. He knows what you need. He knows what you need today, and he knows what you need tomorrow. He knows what your neighbor needs. He knows what they need today, and they know, he knows what they need tomorrow. So how are you doing in this area of discipleship? Open, living generously towards my neighbor and God's mission. Thank you for here last week. We just did the red, yellow, green. How would you place yourself in there? Red, kind of struggling here. Yellow, I'm doing, I'm learning, I'm clumsy, I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm beginning to learn what it means to live open-hearted and open-handed. Green, I'm really walking with the Lord in this area. And here's just a, a question to ask. What was the last random act of kindness that cost you something? What was the last random act of kindness that actually cost you something? So how do we do this? How do we live open lives? Because I don't want it just to be like, this isn't about... I never would want to motivate out of, you know, guilt or anxiety. It's just invitation. Like, what is, how is Jesus inviting you to a deeper place with him in this area of our lives? And Jesus, I think, is very, is very concerned about this area of our lives. So how do we live open lives? So hopefully you got what looked like some Monopoly money in your seat. 
We're just going to give a few simple principles of how we can begin to live in this open way with the Lord. And the first is this, A, account. Account. S, surrender. And L, listen. Account, surrender, listen. Account, surrender, listen. Seen that Jennifer Garner commercial, What's in Your Wallet? The first step in this is just simply to take account. All right, Lord, what have you put into my hands? What have you entrusted me with? A house, maybe? Maybe a car, a bike? If you're in third grade, a soccer ball? Your toys? An apartment you live in? A lawnmower? In fact, I just encourage you right now, just take account. Like, what are the things that God has entrusted you with? A paycheck? And just on the back of your little monopoly money, just start writing it down. It's not for anyone else to see. It's just you and God. Start taking account. Like, what are the things? Job? Family? A Nintendo Switch? So just take account. That's like, I wish. Mom? This is really important. This applies, but it's kind of a side note. One of the biggest lies that we can begin to believe in Christian culture is this, that there are haves and there are have-nots. And if you're blessed to be a have, your job is to bless the poor have-nots. Here's the reality of the kingdom. We are all haves and have-nots. And that homeless person that you meet that asks for a couple bucks to buy a meal has something that is just as precious to God in their life and their heart as anything that you have. And what would it look like if we began to live in community in such a way that we were looking for the gold in the heart of every person that we encounter, no matter what their circumstances are, and that we recognize that we might just have, there's something that we might have need of that they would offer. Friendship, relationship, encouragement, blessing, prayer over our lives. And the danger of the haves and the have-nots is that we begin to create this sort of divided culture in our community where it's like, we'll show up and we'll bless you with what we have. We don't really need anything from you, but peace out. You're welcome. And this invitation of acts is this mutual reciprocation of receiving and giving. And when I am broken and need something, that my brothers and sisters come around me. And when they're broken and need something, I come around them. And somehow in God's incredible wisdom and provision, we all end up getting taken care of. As compared to this life of hoarding and keeping and clutching and, and protecting and, and this is mine and don't you touch it and maybe I'll bless you with a little bit of it, but, but I'm going to take care of my life. And God's like, no, 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 I will take care of you. So take account. Just write down, what is it? And then two, surrender. Surrender. I mean, the first step is surrender your life to Jesus. 
Uh, you are the God of this universe, and, and my life is broken, and I, am, I am, and I am sinful in need of mercy, Lord. And you have picked me up out of that miry pick of my, pit of my own guilt and shame, and you're restoring my soul and my life. You're bringing me into relationship in your kingdom. Surrender. I, don't know, some, I think maybe some in here that that's the first step. That's all we need this morning. Because, Lord, I'm still king of my life. I surrender to you, Jesus, as my savior and my king. And then that act of surrender, what we see in Acts is we surrender our souls to God and trust him and his death on the cross and his resurrection. And then we surrender the rest of our lives. All right, Lord. We just took a count. This is what I have. And, and so literally, I would encourage you, maybe just go out in your backyard or go for a walk down the street of your neighborhood and, and just literally just in this posture, like I, I've taken account. These are the blessings of my life. These are the things that you've entrusted me with. And, and God, it, it's yours. It's yours. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with that lawnmower, God? What do you want me to do with that car? What do you want me to do with that paycheck? You know, as we, how our, we teach our kids, I mean, this is the whole point of tithe, by the way. It's not about God needs our money. It's that God wants our hearts. And so adults, I know you figured it out, but I know we have kids in the room, so I just, this is how we teach our kids about the way that it works and, and why it matters to God. And not even so much about the math, but it's, it's more about the posture of our hearts towards God. But so we say with our kids. So kids say you have a job, you mow somebody's lawn, and you get 10 bucks. Right? So tithe, literally the word tithe just means tenth. You know, it's just a tenth is what that means. It's a, a fancy old word for tenth. And so, so we tell our kids, the way that we kind of view this is, it's like just imagine that you're given 10 $1 bills. And the tithe is this posture of our heart that says, God, thank you. This is all from you. You did this. You provided this. God, this is all yours. I'm surrendering it to you. And so simply all we're doing is just taking that first one and we're giving it back to you, God. And then, God, the rest of this, this is what you're giving to me, Lord? That's amazing. I think most of us approach generosity from the opposite perspective. Well, this is what I need. This is what I got to spend. These are my bills. This is what I want. And if there happens to be any left over at the end, God, you can have a little bit. I'm sure no one in here, but, you know, there's a lot of people in the world that approach it that way. But it breaks this thing in our soul where we think that our stuff is about us. And that God's blessings are to bless us. And that if we have enough of this, we'll be okay. And that first act of just surrender of saying, Lord, this is yours. And then the rest of it, God, I'm holding loosely. What do you want me to do? Listen. Now, this follows what we've been talking about. That we're, we're receptive to what God's work in our lives. To his word, being able to recognize the voice of God. Equipped, that we're saturated in God's word, we're getting his heart, and we're secure, confident in who he's made us to be, being transformed. And so then, out of that place, we can listen. What if we approach our week, our day, that we walk out the front door, we've surrendered it all to God, and we go, all right, Lord, 
What do you got in store for us today? What do you want me to do with your stuff, Lord? How do you want me to live on mission? God, what miracle are you having me deliver for you today? Let me be your FedEx guy, Lord. There's billions of needs on the planet. God, how have you set me up to engage in your work and your mission today? I, I was meeting with a, a couple of guys who were going, reading this book together and in the book, it, as processing, how do we live this way? How do we, and just really wrestling through, how do we live this kind of open life where we're expecting God to use us in, in sort of miraculous ways and just being open to his work? And, and he talks about having a God pocket where you pray and you just ask the Lord, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with my stuff? And even just ask for an amount and, and then you just kind of keep it in your pocket, even if it's just a crazy amount or random or whatever. And then you just are kind of in this posture of just waiting and listening. All right, Lord, what do you have? Now, the amazing thing is, again, not about the amount of money. It's about us learning this posture of openness to what God is doing. So we, we talked about that, and then one of the guys in the group was sharing later. He said uh, that at first, he, he, the, kind of, I think the next day, he was at work, and he'd gone, stopped at a gas station. There's a guy sitting outside and, who asked him you know, for some money to buy a drink or whatever. And, and, uh, and, he, and he was like, normally, I would just totally walk by this guy. And, and he said, but you know what? I just stopped. I was like, I don't know. And normally all these questions, what's he going to do with it? Is he going to blow it on, you know, alcohol? Is it what, like, I don't know, is he going to ruin his life? And, and so he kind of talked himself out of it. But he was just like, you know what, Lord, I, it's not, that's not my business, that's yours. And so sure enough, he, he gave the guy a couple bucks. Well, a, a, few, a week went by and, and he said that he had this dream, this like really vivid dream. And, and in that dream, this guy shows up at his front door needing something. And he heard clear as day. $50. And he's like, all right, Lord, what's that about? And wrestled through it that morning, but he's like, okay, all right. If this is what you got, it's in my, in my God pocket. And almost with an attitude of prove yourself, God. That's a pretty exact amount. So he's driving at work. He's heading to lunch with a couple of guys. And one of the guys in the car is telling the story and, and just talking and, you know, just sharing what's going on in their lives. And he's talking about how his kid's playing baseball for the high school team. And, and, uh, and there's a kid on the team that didn't have enough money for the uniform, and so they don't think he's going to be able to play. So a few of the parents came by and started talking, and, and so they, they decided, hey, we're going to help this kid get a uniform. And so the uniform's 150 bucks, and so far they had raised 100 bucks. You do the math. So my friend's sitting there going, all right, Lord takes it out of his pocket, sets it in the guy's lap, and goes, well, here you go. The first guy's like, whoa, whoa, wait. No, I'm not telling you that to ask you for that. And he goes, no, no, no. This isn't from me. This is from God. He woke me up in a dream about this. I just didn't know what it was. Now, how fun is that? What if that was the kind of life that we got to live? It is the kind of life we get invited to live. Fun thing he said later, the kind of reciprocal effect of that is he ends up having some really encouraging conversations about God with some of his coworkers. God's not concerned about the 50 bucks. He does care about that kid. He does care about my friend's heart. And he does care about my friend's coworkers hearing about Jesus. God's a genius. I remember uh, when we were about 20 years old, 
or just in our early 20s. I was doing Young Life Ministry, an intern, making nothing. We'd just gotten married. We had this little apartment. Find out we're pregnant. And uh, a little shocked, excited, nervous. Had this old blazer that was broken down and not working. And we're trying to figure out what do we do. And I mean, just young and dumb and, and didn't know how to make this work and trying to figure it out and kind of stressed and a little bit panicking about this baby coming. And also we get a phone call from this older couple in our church. And they said, uh, we just want you to know that we're praying for you guys. And we've been praying for you a lot recently. And, and recently we were praying about you and we felt very strongly from the Lord that we're supposed to give you our minivan. Wait, sorry, what? So sure enough, they were thinking about training it in and they just felt like as they were praying, no, 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 Brian, they didn't know that my blazer was broken down. They didn't even know that we were about to have a, that we found out they were having a baby. So a few years go by and we're getting ready. The, the, the minivan has had its last mile. And, uh, and so Sadie and I sat down and wrote that couple. I, at this point, they'd moved out of state. And we wrote them a letter. And in the letter, we just said, thanks. I know you were trying to bless us, but I want to tell you about this minivan. We called it Winnie the Mini. Let me tell you about Winnie. Here's how many thousands of miles Winnie has driven middle school and high school kids to camp. Here's how many times Winnie has shown up at club and picked up kids to go to Young Life Club. Let me tell you about the high school girl that sat in Winnie's front seat and gave her life to Jesus. Let me tell you about these freshman boys that had a conversation about God after his, his father died. I know you were blessing us, but you had no idea what that gift would do. A few weeks, or a week ago, actually, last Friday, uh, family in the church invited Sadie and I over for dinner, and we sit down before we eat, and it starts off by saying, I have a story I want to tell you. He said a story actually that I, until just a couple weeks ago I hadn't even told my wife, but he said uh, when I was younger, he's in his 20s, and he said uh, I was in an accident that should have killed me. And, and afterwards, I felt very clearly, I had this moment with God. He's like, I knew it was God. As clear as day, I knew it was God. That God said, I saved your life for a reason. You're going to be a part of something big. At the time, you know, he's 20-something, ambitious, you know, starting off in, in the work world. So he's imagining, what's this big thing? I'm going to be the CEO of Coca-Cola one day. You know, like, and so every time that he would move or that they would change their role or, you know, their season, in the back of his head, he would always kind of remember this thing with God. And he'd always wonder, is this next thing about to be the thing that's the big thing that I'm waiting for? So fast forward. He said uh, a few weeks ago, he, a few months ago, I guess, he said uh, that he felt like I was telling him to go back and listen to these sermons from this guy that had preached back in the 90s. And, uh, 
and it really impacted his life. And, and so as he's listening to these old, he goes and Googles this guy. I don't know if he's around his church. He's still preaching, whatever. So he finds it, listens to this random sermon, and uh, the guy's voice comes through. sounds just like this old preacher that he knew. And, and, he, and so he's listening to this sermon. And the sermon was out of this, pro, this random book of the Bible called Haggai. How many of y'all spent a lot of time studying the book of Haggai? Yeah, none of us. None of us. I, I mean, I'm a pastor, and it's like, you know, the book Haggai is like, mm-hmm, yep. It's right after Second Opinions. So he's preaching and teaching the Bible. Haggai actually is the, this pr- prophecy that uh, God gives to the people. The people have been in exile, taken out of God's pro- the promised land, and, and living imprisoned in a, in a foreign empire, and, they're beginning, and God's inviting them to come back to their, to their homes, to rebuild God's city. But the, but the prophet says to the people, listen, you are focusing your life on building your houses, and I'm about to dry up the land, because while you're spending all your time building your houses, my house sits empty and broken down and abandoned. And he had this thought, he's like, you know, Home Depot stock is going through the roof right now. Say, in fact, we're renovating a couple houses ourselves. He said, and every day, I drive past this old rock gym that's sitting empty, this old school waiting to become a place of worship while I'm building my house. And he said, God took him back to that memory when he was 20 years old. And he knew that if you were in the fall out in the field, uh, we had announced that we were, because of COVID and we wanted to minimize debt and we, we wanted to be good stewards of what God's given us, that we were going to pause on the rock gym and we were going to do worship in here. And this is amazing, but this is really meant to be for middle school and high school students, not for us. And, but we're going to pause, we're going to wait, and maybe in a year or so we can begin again and you know, pay down some debt, get our feet under us. And, but by not doing the rock gym now, we were going to be saving about around $500,000 of debt. And so that made sense for us. And he said, uh, I felt like God said, you've been wait, spending your life waiting for the big thing that's about to happen. But I've actually been preparing you this entire time. And he said, if it's... $500,000 for y'all to finish the rock gym, then I don't know how we're going to do it. And we've never done anything like this before. But we're going to give you that money. He said, don't, yeah. He said, don't let the church stop the work. We want to be in there by the end of the summer that this old abandoned school will become a place of worship. He's crying the whole time he's telling the story, which is just beautiful. It's the heart that God would choose to, to use his life, to build his life in such a way that God has been preparing for decades for what God knew he was going to do 40 years ago. But the part that actually, I'm just crying the whole time too, Later, he actually says, like, the first time I've ever seen you speechless. 
But what got me actually was this. He's telling the story of Haggai, and in the beginning of Haggai, he talks about your focus on building your houses while my house is empty. And then he says, there's, and then there's some stuff about Zerubbabel and the priest. And then at the end, it says, and the glory of the second house is going to be greater than the glory of the first. But it was actually the in-between that grabbed me, that name, Zerubbabel. Because nine years ago, when God gave us the word, don't despise small beginnings, standing under that oak tree right there, which at the time when that word came, I didn't even know it was in the Bible. I just thought God was encouraging me about Monroe and picked up a little acorn and held on to that acorn for a few years. And it wasn't until five years later, I'm in the truck, again, great pastor moment, driving with a friend, telling them the story of the acorn. Don't despise small beginnings. And that friend goes, yeah, that's a great verse, isn't it? Yep. Even though it was in the Bible. So when he gets out of the car, I'm like Googling, uh, what? Well, it's in Zechariah. And it's God's word to Zerubbabel. And what God says to him is that you're going to rebuild this thing. Don't despise small beginnings. The plumb line is in your hand, and we are not going to stop the work until it's finished. And then there's this phrase that always, ever since that point, has just been in the back of my head. God says, don't despise small beginnings. And it's not by might, and it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I've always wondered, what does that mean for us? Because there's a whole lot of things that we can explain from hard work and determination and good strategies and good plans. But what does it mean that this isn't by might or power, but God, it's your spirit that does something so miraculous there's nobody that can put their name on it? How about I start with a 20-year-old kid 40 years ago and give him a word that's planted in a random minor prophet that's going to tie to the word that I'm going to speak to you 10 years ago and I'm going to raise up a group of people that are actually going to do a work in a place that's going to transform a city and impact generations. And what is beginning now that began way back then isn't even about what's happening now, but it's about our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And we're a part of that. This invitation to be open isn't about, well, I guess I can, you know, do a little bit more with my money. It's saying, God, what do you have for me? And whether that is $2 to help a dude buy a drink or $50 to get a kid a baseball uniform or a minivan to help a young couple do ministry or your life's work and legacy that you've been building for four decades. God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? And it may not even be giving the minivan. It may be you drive around your neighborhood and start picking up some kids in your minivan. It may not be giving the lawnmower. It may be going down the street and mowing your neighbor's lawn. What does it mean to be open? We want radical discipleship. We want radical stories. We want to see God move in radical ways. Come on. Let's step into that. So I want to pray for us. I'll invite our worship team to come on back up. I'm going to invite you to stand. As we're taking, as we're worshiping,
I invite you to take communion at your own speed, just you and the Lord. Communion, this reminder, the presence of Christ with us, the sacrifice of God on our behalf. The bread that Jesus took and broke and said, my body. The cup that Jesus took and said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. But as we're singing and as we're worshiping, and maybe for some of you to get on your knees or on your faces, maybe it's to go to the cross or to go to the prayer rooms. Let's surrender. Let's surrender to whatever it is that Jesus has for us. However much or however little it feels like it is. So I want to go on and just pray over us. And I invite you, as we do each week, to just put a hand over your heart or out in the posture of receiving. And I pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who reigns over everything in heaven and on earth, that God would fill you with the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit, that you would know his presence in the depths of your soul, that you would hear him call you by name and lead you forward. And if there are places that you are living in lack or in struggle, may God give you your daily bread, what you need for today. May God open your eyes, open your hands, open your ears and open your heart to what he is doing and what he has done. May he cut off from you anything that is holding you bondage and set you free to live in joy and peace and in hope. May God bless the work of your hands. And may you hold your hands open for God to continue to work through you for his kingdom. And may you, sons and daughters of the king, grow up into the maturity of Christ and experience the abundant life that Jesus invites you into. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Once again, our mission at Grace Monroe is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, go to graceformonroe.com connect. Also, if you felt blessed by our ministry and want to partner with us financially, everything you need to know about giving is online at graceformonroe.com give. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed.